Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 65. There's a lecture on Harry Potter um, episode or lecture three on two chapters this time, The Vanishing Glass and The Letters from No End. And just after this, we'll have our very first podcast with Miss Sarah Miller and Mr. Wes Shantz. So in preparation for that, I'd like to consider um, these two chapters and in particular two important points in our one important point in each particular chapter to total. So during the vanishing glass, we have Dudley's birthday. And so we have a differentiation between Dudley and Harry Potter um, developing. Not only is Dudley having his birthday, and we see that his birthday is celebrated much differently from Harry's, which will come in the next, um, <clears throat> the next chapter and the chapter after. And so Dudley receives 36 presents and then cries about this fact to Aunt Petunia because he received 37 the year before and thus needs to have at least 37 this year. And so Aunt Petunia placates him as she always placates him and thus spoiling him by uh, giving him, saying that he will have two presents later. And the the reason that this sort of attitude in a behavior or this behavior in a parent spoils a child is that what the child becomes accustomed to and thus becomes accustomed to being placated by is novelty. One is given a new toy, a new thing, and thus one never learns to appreciate the things one actually has because one is only ever exploring the novel aspects of that which one has just received. And we know this is true for Dudley because he has a TV that has had his foot kicked through it. He's um, sat on and broken um, one of his toys. I forget exactly which one it is, but I'll be, I'll be reminded of it later. <clears throat> he destroys everything he has. And this perhaps will suggest that in the future he will destroy the relationships he will have too because he has no practice maintaining something that he values or learning how to value something. And so for his birthday... Unlike Harry, who we find out for his last birthday received old socks from Uncle Vernon and a coat hanger suggesting that he is not even present. He does not even exist. Um, he, of course, lives in a cupboard, a cupboard where you might store things, and you also store uh, coat hangers and things. And so he's like a placeholder. It, it's almost as if he is the uh, sort of unrealized potential of Dudley in the eyes of these uh, of. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia, sort of like the the role that Frank Dukes had in Bloodsport with um, the son of the master who trained him. He was used sort of as a punching bag until the son died. Um, and so uh, how uh, Dudley's birthday will be celebrated will be he will go to the zoo and he'll go with his friend Piers Polkis, which is a very interesting sort of name because Piers, of course, is, uh, is a variant on the name Pierre and a name on Peter. And so he's just as bad as Dudley, though Dudley is, of course, the worst of his gang of, I believe, four. And so when they go to the zoo, generally they don't take Harry. He doesn't get to have any fun at all. He's purely tyrannized over, except in this case, he usually, uh, where he usually goes is to this old woman's house named Mrs. Fig, who shows pictures of her cats. Um, however, in this case, one of her cats has resulted in uh, or has made it so that she has broken her hip and so mrs fig is not very happy about that and so <clears throat> it turns out that harry will not be going with mrs fig he will come to the zoo with dudley and pierce and with Aunt petunia and aunt vernon or uncle vernon he even gets a, a lemon icicle pop even though it's not as good as what is given to dudley but Again, given the idea of the Hegelian master-slave dialectic, this may lead to Harry. The more he's tyrannized over as a child, perhaps the more heroic he will be as an adult. Um, and so, transforming with maximal transformation from sort of a slavish being ignored to being given uh, the attention of a famous person. You might also suggest that that would, of course, be um, not so much the delusion as 
ultimate motivating force of somebody who is both ignored and mistreated growing up that they they show those who mistreated them who were so close to their potential they show them what it was they were missing while they lived under their care by becoming more and more or, or by becoming greater and greater or more and more worthy or efficient or incredible at that which they do. And so in earning and becoming great at what one does and attaining to fame, if one is, say, mistreated as a young person, that is truly the ultimate revenge. And so Harry then finds himself in a reptile house. And at first, his brother, or excuse me, his stepbrother, cousin technically, uh, um, Dudley, is hitting the glass or at least having his father hit the glass to try and get the bow constrictor to do something. Uh, Harry follows along afterwards and looks at the bow constrictor and starts to talk to it, not knowing that he can speak parcel tongue, snake language, an ability he was given by Lord Voldemort after he was attacked by him and uh, somehow defeated him. We'll learn by a love charm soon enough uh, in the next few books, so not so soon. And so Harry looks at the snake and says, I can I can really empathize with you. And something I, I failed to mention um, that will be a theme of this chapter is that uh, Harry mentions that he has a dream, a dream about a flying motorcycle, and he's yelled at by his his parents, his step-parents, um, motorcycles don't fly. And it says about them, well, it says on page 26 of the American edition, Harry said, I know they don't, said Harry. It was only a dream. But he wished he hadn't said anything. If there was one thing the Dursleys hated, even more than his asking questions, it was his talking about anything acting in a way it shouldn't. No matter if it was in a dream or even a cartoon, they seemed to think he might get dangerous ideas. And so this next scene is going to illustrate the sort of comeuppance of that. As the Dursleys are pure um, archetypes or symbols of tradition or order, they cannot allow for new creative ideas, and thus magic folk who are representatives of those who can use their imaginations or, and are creative individuals. They wear many colors. They wear different hats. They use wands to bring about effective change in the world based on their ideas by casting spells. Through, and a spell is, of course, a manifestation of a thought. You spell out what you think. Um, the Dursleys cannot allow Harry to become a magical person, but he seems to be creative. He has dreams. His hair is all messed up, indicating that he is disordered to some extent. And so now what this snake is going to represent when it escapes is Harry's inner nature, though it has they have attempted to constrain it and mold it and make it normal, is going to bust out. And so... Uh, when Harry confronts this snake, he says, I know how you feel. And then the snake rises up and looks at him as if face to face, as if they are reflections of one another, as if the snake is some part of Harry and Harry some part of the snake. And well, if we think about it, the snake is a boa constrictor supposed to be from Brazil, but was bred in captivity, which Harry finds. That means that the snake, like Harry, is out of place. The snake is also a captive, like Harry. Uh, living in a cupboard, um, like Chip from Beauty and the Beast, <clears throat> though he's not a cup. It's also a freakish marvel uh, here uh, uh, to be looked at and gawked at with heretofore unexplored capacities. And when it's released, it will be like Harry's adolescence being released and his nascent magic and creativity into the world. And so, unbeknownst to him, he lets the snake out of the glass. Something happens. It's as if instinct occurs. Something that he cannot control comes out from him. And so the beginning of his potential um, uh, is there. And so 
he ruins Dudley's birthday and thus gets what he wants, though he didn't consciously know that he wants, and that's an interesting thing too. Unconsciously, of course, he wouldn't want anything good for Dudley because of the mistreatment from Dudley, but he also consciously knows that he doesn't want to deal with the consequences. And so what often happens in such situations, which we know from the Jungians and Peterson, is that you unconsciously find a way to ruin the situation. So if you say, don't want to sleep in the same bed as your brother, you're say like a seven-year-old, he's like a six-year-old and you think he's annoying, perhaps you will pee the bed um, in order to make sure that you get your own bed at some time. Sort of like uh, potentially the situation that happens in Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin's character, um, Kevin, and his actual brother, Kieran Culkin, who um, I'm forgetting exactly what his name is, Fuller, who always pees the bed. All right, very interesting. Now, let's move on to The Letters from No One, Chapter 3. And so, now, Chapter 3, The Letters from No One. And so, Letters from No One is a very interesting idea because, of course, the letters do come from Hogwarts, which is sort of a heaven-like place or an Eden-like place, a sanctuary in which one can grow apart from danger, though we'll see that danger is <clears throat> always a part of this particular um, castle. Letters from No One also is interesting because the claim that I made earlier was that Albus Dumbledore is something of a figure of God the Father, or um, an o the old wise man archetype, something beyond that which is human. So a letter from no one would suggest a letter from something divine, something more, perhaps the institution itself. And of course, uh, what is heaven without God? What is Mount Olympus without Zeus? The idea of Hogwarts and the idea of the headmaster, or, or Dumbledore, which we see he is a placeholder for this archetype, because when we do get into his um, office eventually, we'll see um, the portraits of all the headmasters who came before him, indicating sort of a golden chain of being a, a golden chain of tradition <clears throat> between all them, suggesting that the greatest thing a human can do is embody a traditional role in a new and unique way, in a way that serves one's contemporary environment or contemporaneous environment. And so, the letters from no one also spark off to us an idea of Odysseus, almost as if there, there is a former hero of old, uh, a, a type of individual, a call to adventure, which is happening. And, well, contrary to Joseph Campbell's general hero myth, or hero cycle, often called the monomyth, um, it is not Harry who will deny the call here, but actually Uncle Vernon. And something very interesting is that uh, there will be seven different days, seven concurrent days, seven different ways that Hogwarts attempts to get the message to Harry. And something interesting, too, is that, of course, these uh, the mail comes by owl, and on the mail is written in green ink, uh, emerald green ink. Uh, Harry's location, um, and even specifically his bedroom or cupboard, depending on where he's living at the time. And so, something interesting about that is that the idea of an owl, Minerva, uh, uh, the owl is the animal of Minerva or Athena, and of course we recall that Minerva McGonagall is a master of transfiguration, which means she can change into animals, in particular a cat generally, but that she was wearing an emerald green robe. And so uh, something interesting is what we will soon find out that uh, Harry will be uh, placed within the Gryffindor house where Minerva McGonagall <coughs> is actually the headmistress. And so there might be some idea that the uh, letter, though it may have been magically simply produced by no one, <coughs> could also have been sent by Minerva McGonagall. And so the strategy of Uncle Vernon once these letters come through and they're addressed to Harry, and thus when he first opens the first one, he sees that it's from Hogwarts, and he sees that he and Aunt Petun Petunia's efforts have failed. 
Harry is going to be like his mother and like his father. He is going to be one of those so-called freaks. He is magical. He is creative. And he has been invited to Hogwarts. And so Uncle Vernon, rather than recognizing this fact and understanding that this strange boy uh, <clears throat> with whom weird things often happen, including the snake incident uh, just before, realizes that there is no helping it. Or rather, instead of recognizing Precisely what he does need to recognize, that Harry has become what it is that he was meant to be by instinct, by nature, through no fault of his own and through no fault of Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia's. Of course, they tried to destroy all that was creative within Harry. Well, Vernon's strategy is ignore this. Let's just ignore this. And just as he has attempted with Petunia to ignore Harry all along, he's going to attempt to ignore these letters. So this reminds me of a children's book that Dr. Jordan B. Peterson brings up in his lectures on maps of meaning and personality. And so the name of the book is There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. And basically what happens in this children's book is that there's a small dragon that gradually gets bigger and bigger, and the child continues to notice it, and it continues to take away things he loves, like the space to play in, in the room, in his house, as well as eats his pancakes. And so the idea being that when you refuse to face a problem in the family, the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And in fact, near the end of the, the, uh, the story, the dragon actually takes the house away, suggesting something like a divorce. So if you let problems build up, small problems between you and your spouse or in your family, eventually a giant problem that you cannot deal with will come to be. And in fact, Peterson mentions that he had a nephew that had a dream similar to this where he said that he would be attacked by small beaked gnomes um, that scared him, but behind them was a giant dragon that could breathe fire from which the gnomes came. And so when Peterson asked his nephew what he could do about that, which is a leading question, uh, he said that he could go with his dad, figure of authority and hero, hero and heroism, and uh, uh, attack the, the dragon with a sword and make a shield out of its hide so that he would essentially go to the source of the problem um, and destroy all the small inconveniences that or annoyances and problems that were attacking him. And so the idea there is that if you ignore a problem, the source of the problem remains and it will continue to produce the proximate problems in your life. Whereas if you actually face it heroically, perhaps you can get to the source of the problem, you can deracinate it, you can deroot it, you can get rid of it so that you can move on with your life. And so we see that the Dursleys, in particular Vernon, choose the wrong method of dealing with this problem. They, like always, are patterned into ignoring. <clears throat> and as we see in the there's no such thing as a dragon story. The problem just gets worse and worse. And so the very first day, a letter comes through. Harry sees it. Vernon grabs it from him, reads it, goes pale, and since it indicated knowledge in sort of a divine, omnipresent, or panopticon sort of way uh, that uh, Harry lived in the cupboard. It, it was addressed to him in the cupboard. Harry gets moved up to Dudley's second room, and then we find out that not only is there a second room for Dudley's toys, many of which are broken because he's so spoiled, but there's also a guest room in which Uncle Vernon's uh, sister Marge often uh, lives. And so <clears throat> Harry could have been outside of the cupboard the entire time. Well, the second day, Dudley is sent to get the mail, and we see that Harry receives another piece of mail. And so things aren't out of control yet, but Vernon is 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 dead set on ignoring this problem, and he will go to great lengths to do so. Uh, so many lengths that you would imagine that he might just want to face it. It would save him lots of time, energy, and emotional 
angst, which of course we know can uh, stress can <laughs> can age you through the production of copious amounts of cortisol. And so, the third day, Vernon is sleeping down by the steps because he knows that Harry's going to try and sneak sneak out. Three letters show up that day. He then attempts to nail close the um, the mail slot, and well, what happens then are twelve come through. So the 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 problem is expen is a uh, experiencing exponential growth at this point, and they come through the slots and through the sides of the doors. <clears throat> well, the next day, 30 to 40 come through. That exponential growth continues, and um, they come through the chimney. And so they're coming through an even more essential part of the house. It's almost as if, uh, like, like symptoms of a disease. At first, you get little small superficial ones, and then you get much, much, much clearer and more drastic ones. And so then Vernon takes to the road. And so we've had one, and then one, and then three, and then 12, and then 30 or 40. We get to a motel, and there at that motel, again, there's a new letter that is sent to Mr. Harry Potter. And while this is happening, the, the, the mindset, the mind frame of, of Vernon is, is getting more and more delusional, or rather, is being shown to be more and more delusional because his way of looking at reality, uh, ignoring the fact of magic, ignoring the fact of Harry's existence is going to fall apart. He's going to have to change his map because clearly this magic is real. Clearly Harry is real, and clearly there is a call for Harry. It's sort of like if, say, uh, it reminds me of the book David Copperfield, or if, like, say, you had a very strict father who was an accountant who didn't believe in fairy tales and such, and you wanted to be, say, a poet. Uh, he might try and deny the existence of that within you and send you to the best schools and such. However, if you have the creative spark, well, you know, Carl Jung says that you either have to be creating if you're creative or you wither and die. And well, perhaps that's true. And so finally, Uncle Vernon takes us on a seventh day out all the way towards the sea to this tiny little shack, which only has two rooms in it. And during that time, Harry watches as the minutes count down to his birthday and perhaps we will see as mentioned in the chapter before the divergence between him and Dudley be complete perhaps he will find that rather than going simply to a public school as he was as he was meant to he will go to the ultimate private school and rather than being seen as more and more common he will be seen as the rarest sort of person or somebody capable of going to say a tremendous liberal arts school or something like that, which is a claim, uh, a Jungian claim, essentially, that studying the liberal arts is like studying magic, because you study <clears throat> not only that which has created history and history, but how to create history in one's present day. And one might say that that is the greatest magic that there is. And so we see at the end of this chapter that all of Vernon's efforts eventually are for naught, because the last word of the chapter is Boom! And in will enter a giant, ten times larger than a normal human, half-giant technically, five times wider, two times taller, and it will be Hagrid. And it will show that when you try to ignore the beast, the beast just eventually jumps out from the cage. When you try to ignore the problem, the problem just gets so big that eventually you cannot deal with it. And <clears throat> Uncle Vernon, though a big man and ahead of his firm, will find himself utterly nonplussed and outmatched by this, by this uh, giant, sentient problem that has come his way to collect uh, Harry. And so nature will have its way, regardless of all the best intentions of man. All right, well, <clears throat> I hope you can listen to this before I get on the phone with Miss um, Sarah Miller and Mr. Um, Wesley Chance. This has been chapters two and three, The Vanishing Glass 
and letters from no one. And I look forward to the next one. Bye.